how, I mean, does, what does reading aloud? All right. No, let me try that again. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. You took a shortcut, Sarah. That <laughs> was a cop out if I've ever had one. You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that helps you make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Hello, hello, Sarah McKenzie here. Oh my goodness, do I have a treat for you today. We are joined in this episode by someone I admire so much, someone I've been wanting to have on the show for a very, very long time. I know I often say that the episode we've done here at Read Aloud Revival with Katherine Hatterson is my favorite ever episode, but this one is right up there. I think you're going to find out why in just a minute. Kate DiCamillo is a light, and I cannot wait to share my conversation with Kate here on the podcast. We're talking about reading aloud for connection. But before we get to Kate DiCamillo, I have a question to answer from another Kate. Listener Kate Bettinghouse called in, and here's what she asked. Any tips for reading aloud with kids who are in school? I have a second grader, and we read a lot this summer when he was home, and now it feels like since school started, and by the time he gets home and does homework, and we have dinner and family time, it's bedtime, and we haven't had any time to read aloud. So I know you're probably going to suggest just squeezing it in, 10 minutes somewhere, even 10 minutes can make a difference. And maybe I just need to hear you say that again. Yes, Kate, you've got my number because the first thing that popped into my head is indeed squeeze in 10 minutes at a time. It sounds like you know that already. So I'm going to affirm you in that because I think it's so important. You will get to so much more reading aloud if you allow yourself to do it in small chunks. And if you don't insist on reading a whole chapter at once, I know it feels like you should be able to read a whole chapter at once. Sometimes life doesn't allow that, but that's what bookmarks are for, so you use them. Audiobooks in the car can be a great way to sneak in some more reading aloud on your way to extracurricular activities or sports practice or school or anywhere else your family's going. Another thing I want to point out is picture books. As your child grows older, do not stop reading picture books. Picture books are written oftentimes with more eloquent, beautiful language than chapter books or middle grade novels. So the reading level in the picture book is actually higher than it is in the novel. A beautifully written picture book is like poetry and an art gallery combined into one. So they are not less than or they're not inferior to longer novels. The beautiful thing about picture books is because they're short, you can experience more stories this way. So if you prioritize picture books over novels when it comes to reading aloud, you will actually fill your child's memories and childhood with more stories. So definitely don't set aside the picture books. Keep reading picture books. Sometimes that might be all you can squeeze in. And again, it's a really beautiful thing to do that. Another helpful idea is making a weekend ritual. Let's say Saturday morning with a big stack of pancakes. It's read aloud time. Or Sunday afternoons with a big bowl of popcorn and some hot cocoa. It doesn't have to be a daily ritual. It doesn't even have to happen during the school week. You can make it something that happens just once a week on a weekend, kind of like a family movie night, but it's read aloud time. And I guarantee you that if you do that for a year and you have a weekend ritual, let's say that Saturday morning pancakes for a year, when your kids are older, they will remember, hey, my mom used to read to us. 
on Saturday mornings over pancakes, and it was my favorite morning of the week. One last thing I want to mention is don't get hung up on a schedule that will work forever. Just figure out a schedule that will work for now, for this season. Because once sports schedules change or extracurricular schedules change or people get sick or there's holidays or family coming into town, you have to shift things around anyway, and that's okay. So if you're thinking, I need to figure out a great time for reading aloud that's going to fit all year long, that's a really big hurdle. (laughs) So instead, just figure out what works for us right now in January or in February or whatever time it is this week, what works for us just now. Think in smaller chunks of time and you may be able to find little pockets that you didn't realize were available. You can also go find episode 34 of the Read Aloud Revival podcast. I had a guest on that show named Megan Francis, and we talked all about fitting in time to read aloud around a busy school schedule. So if you haven't heard episode 34, that might be one worth going to find and listen to. Thank you so much for your question, Kate. Listeners, if you have a question you'd like me to answer on an upcoming episode of the podcast, head to readaloudrevival.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and look for the got a question for Sarah McKenzie spot. You can push that button, leave me a voicemail, and I will possibly answer it on an upcoming episode of the podcast. Well, if you've been listening to the Read Aloud Revival for very long at all, you know we love the work of Kate DiCamillo. In fact, we recently had her on for a premium member author access event where we all read The Tale of Despero with our kids, and then we made these big simmering pots of soup, and Kate came live online and did a video stream answering the kids' questions. It was a luminous hour, so luminous, in fact, that I just had to ask her to come back so that you, our podcast listeners, could hear from her as well. Kate DiCamillo is the author of many beloved and award-winning books, The Tale of Despero, Flora and Ulysses, Because of Winn-Dixie, Ramey Nightingale, the hilarious Mercy Watson series, and a brand new beautiful book called Louisiana's Way Home, Oh, as well as a new picture book called Good Rosie, which is illustrated by Harry Bliss, which is always fun. His illustrations are always fun. Kate's delightful and brilliant, and we're going to talk about reading aloud today. Kate, I am so glad you're here. Thanks for coming on the show. That's a lot of adjectives for me to live up to there. Delightful, brilliant, and then it was a luminous hour. I have to say that it was luminous for me to be with y'all. I really, really enjoyed that. So, And you know that there's nothing that I like better than talking about reading aloud. In a video I saw recently of you on PBS.org, and we'll link to this video in the show notes so listeners, you can go watch it because it's really, really wonderful. It's this short, beautiful piece. Anyway, so Kate, in that video, you said, reading aloud ushers us into a third place, a safe room. It's a room where everyone involved, the reader and the listener, can put down their defenses and lower their guard. We humans long not just for story, not just for the flow of language, but for the connection that comes when words are read aloud. That connection provides illumination. It lets us see each other. Oh, tell me, tell me more about this. I've been doing this for 18 years now, right? And so, and then going out and talking to people about stories, and then having the honor to read aloud from one of my books to a group of people, it makes me remember the power of that, of being read to, 
I remember my mother so clearly reading Ribsy, oh. Beverly Cleary's Ribsy. And I, I have one of those flashbulb memories of this. We were, I grew up in Florida. We were in the Florida room, which is, you know, kind of like a porch-like room that a lot of houses in Florida have. And we were sitting on the couch. My mother was in the middle. My brother was on one side of her. I was on the other. The dog was at our feet. And it was the first time that I had seen an adult laugh until they cried. This is my mother reading a loud part of Ribsy. And so it gave me, I think about this moment a lot because it was, it unified the three of us or the four of us, if you count the dog, but it also gave me a chance to see my mother as a person. Does that make sense? Because a lot of times you don't do that when you're a kid. It was just, I saw her as a human being responding to the story and it was really moving for me in a lot of different ways. So that's a long, not at all succinct answer. And then as I talked about that piece on PBS, I have been fortunate enough to have teachers read aloud and that wonderful kind of like subterranean connection. Actually, when you and I did the webcast, you had uh, something that I should have written down about the power of reading aloud that I thought was brilliant. I wonder if you can pull that out of your hat again about what it does, the connections. I don't remember exactly what I said that time. Maybe, I mean, one of the things that comes to mind as you're talking is how it kind of puts us on the same side of the fence or on the same side of the table. I know that when I'm, you know, at odds with my kids or they're at odds with each other and we sit and we share a story, we're rooting for the same hero or heroine, right? And we're, we're nervous about the same parts. We're weeping with the, at the sad parts and we're laughing. I mean, I remember reading Bud Not Buddy with my kids by Christopher God, that's Parker. such a good book. Isn't that's it? That's such a good book. That, there's that scene. I think I've talked about it on the podcast before, but there's that scene where there's the backwash in the pop bottle. I think it's a pop <laughs> <Yes>. bottle. <laughs> and it's so funny. I mean, I've got tears streaming down my face. My husband comes in. He's like, what are you guys all? We were all my teenagers and I, we were just cracking up. And so then we read it to him and he, who has not heard any of the rest of the story, it's just cracking up. And so I think it just reminds us that we're all, we're like all on the same team. We're on the same sides. Like we forget that we're rooting for each other. It sort of places us hand in hand when we can't manage to do that. In the yeah, other way. it does. And it does that for a big group or for a small group. And I, you know, part of it, I think is probably just because it's so much a part of who we are as human beings. I mean, that it's that sitting around a fire and telling a story is as old as we are. And um, it just has, it has so much power. Yeah, I think you talked in that P same PBS video about the, your experience of watching somebody who had been a bully to you respond to a story and you were able to see him completely in new light, right? Right. It's the same as seeing my mother as not my mother, but as a as a person. And it seems like a really odd point to make. But I think as a kid, you just, you know, it's like when you see your, your teacher for uh, grocery shopping in the store and you're like, oh, yeah. what are you doing here? <laughs> you eat food? <laughs> Wait. <laughs> it's out and, of context, right? Right. And yeah. And it's just that thing of, oh, you're, there's so much more, just like there's so much more to the person who tripped me every day because I, I got to see him as somebody who was like me, somebody who was literally on the edge of their seat waiting to see what happened in Island of the Blue Dolphins. You know that book, don't you, Sarah? Mm, I do. Yeah. yeah.
your Facebook page is so beautiful. It's like this especially beautiful because Facebook is very noisy. It's like the noisiest place online. <laughs> but it's your page is like this little quiet refuge there. And I love your posts so much. I actually changed the settings so that they show up first. I like did this little show first. <laughs> so they're always at the top of my feed and they just sort of set the tone for when I'm if I'm going to be on Facebook. Recently you wrote about how someone had pointed out to you that many of your stories end with everyone gathered around the table sharing food. So tell me yeah. more about that. Why do you think that is? And and do you set out to do that intentionally, do you think? No, I mean, you know this from talking to me before that I don't set out to do anything intentionally because if I did, I would I would surely mess it up. It, it's that thing of, you know, writing behind your own back. But I am, there is some part of me that is always trying to get to that table. And like at the end of, I, I did a Christmas picture book called Great Joy. Oh, I love that book. And this is like the very first time that it, like, it, like I said, it has been pointed out to me, but the very first time that I was aware of it on my own was with the two-page spread that it's a wordless two-page spread that ends that book where everybody's in the church social hall and everybody is warm and safe and they're together. And I remember looking at Bagram Ibatuin's art for that and thinking, but this is what I... This is a thing that I'm always trying to do with a story is to get here into a, a warm, safe place where everyone can <laughs> put down their guard, right? Yeah. And a table, you know, I'm a big fan of eating and <laughs> and I'm a terrible, terrible, I can't cook at all. <laughs> and I have so many people in my life who are fantastic cooks and I and I it is one of the great privileges of my existence to get to go and sit around a table with people that I love. And so it, to me, it is one of the best places. And so I'm always working towards that place. Now, do you remember when you wrote that manuscript, did you have like an illustrator note that had them finishing at the table specifically? With which one? With Great Joy? With, yeah, there is. I don't think there's a table in Great oh, Joy. Okay. I have okay. to pull it out. It's just that it's that feeling. I mean, it yeah. is it's not a table, but it might as well be a table. Got it. And, and there's this light in that room. And yes, I did, you know, in the author notes say that I wanted it to end with no words and with that image. The image of them um, all together. Yeah, That's the amazing. image of everybody together. Maybe there's food somewhere in the background and that I should... I, I should, should go look. look. It's downstairs yeah. right now. But if I go down there, my twins will stop me and not let me come back. So... <laughs> They're fine. And if I move, <laughs> and if I move, the dog is going to follow me. So we yeah. both have to sit exactly where we are. <laughs> okay. So listeners, you're going to have to go see for yourself. <laughs> this is one of the things I've been thinking about a lot lately. I thought about it a lot last night, actually. When we engage with kids about books from a teaching perspective, I think a lot of times we ask questions like, you know, why did the author use this metaphor? Or why did the author choose that language? Or what did this symbolize? Or what did the author mean? Then when I talk to authors like oh, really yeah. beautiful authors like Catherine Patterson, you, Jonathan Auxier, Lois Lowry, so many of these authors of these books that we love, I hear something that makes me wonder about that way that we tend to engage with our kids in books. So let me just give you an example so you know exactly what I mean. I've heard educators say that when we read a book, we should be trying to figure out what the author meant, like what the main message of his or her book or what he was trying to say or she was trying to say. But when I talk to authors, it feels less like the author is setting out on this mission to say something that the reader is supposed to like dig out 
uh, like the author's not necessarily setting out with this theme or this point or this intentional use of motifs or whatever. But what I feel like I hear is that the stories just sort of come out of the author's, I don't know, organic human experience just kind of overflows onto the page. And that those things that bubble up to the surface of the story, whether that's a theme or a point or a motif or whatever, those literary forms or devices, whatever we want to call those, those almost surprise the author as much as anyone. And so I'm just curious if I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, mostly because I'm finding myself really wary of asking my kids questions like, what did the author mean? Because I don't want to get in the way of how the story can meet my child in a way it didn't meet me. So I'm just kind of curious to see what goes through your mind when I bring that up. Well, you should sit down and make yourself comfortable because I have a lot to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) But I also want to make it clear that I would never presume to talk for Catherine Patterson or Lois Lowry or, you know, this is my experience. And my experience starts way before I ever wrote anything when I was in school and I would read a fantastic short story and it would fill my soul. And then I would turn the page and what was waiting for me, 15 questions. (laughs) And my heart would sink all the way down to my toes. So you've got a kid who loves to read and who loves this story that she just read. And I don't want to answer those questions. I, I never wanted to take it apart that way. I would talk about, I would like And I did like to sit around and talk with people about how the story made me feel. But the questions about what the author meant and why they did this and why they did that, even as a reader, I have a hard time with that. And as a, you know, as a kid, as a reader, I had a hard time with that. All of which is to say, and you know, you know where I am on this. I have no idea what I'm doing. So it's this, the story is smarter than I am. And my job is to get out of my own way. That means to put my ego on the back burner, to put all my fears, which are ego, on the back burner, and and to let the story lead me through the story, not to think, okay, this is the phrase that I should use here in order to convey this message, because I just, I couldn't work that way. And I would mess the story up if I tried to do that. So, I'm always kind of chagrined to hear that, you know, those questions are are being asked. Well, I actually, I heard an author recently, Jonathan Rogers say, he was talking about writing. He said, we should approach our writing as a farmer tilling ancient soil, not as a miner digging for gold. And as readers, I think there's like that metaphor of like, can we just till this ancient soil and not mine for gold? I mean, I think it's harder to quantify. So I know that as parents or educators, we have this let me give an example. My son just finished reading Mildred Taylor's Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. Yeah, what a book. Oh, and I just couldn't ask any questions that I thought might minimize the impact that the story itself would have on him. So we just had sort of this, I just asked him, so tell me, tell me about what happened in the story. And he like just went, I mean, just like 15 minutes solid, big, long sentence, right? Like this and this, and can you believe that? And, and you could see with way his voice changed, he's 13, with the way his like intonation was, with the way he held his shoulders at different parts, kind of the impact that it had on him. And so I am I feel that as a reader. And so I'm just wondering, I'm just thinking this is a question that we should set out to think about as anyone who's educating kids. Like, we don't want to get in the way of this story. And I've always been curious to know if authors are frustrated when they hear 
when they hear say a teacher say what's what was the author trying to say i am i'm 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 frustrated because i think gosh i don't know what i was trying to say and it and it's like the thing always to me that is so patently clear is it is a it is a team effort me and you the collective you the reader the story doesn't exist when i turn it in it exists when it becomes a book and somebody else reads it and I'm not there to stand over their shoulder and say, did you like this part? Did this part work for you? It's a communal effort. And my job is to do it and to then let it go. And then it becomes yours and you bring yourself to it. And, you know, for Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, it makes me think of when I, I didn't read Bridge to Terabithia. I wasn't, I was too old, you know, and so I came to it as an adult. Mm-hmm. and. I loved it. And it was just so beautiful. And so my best friend's son was a huge reader. And he was, I think, nine or 10. And I, I, and I was talking to her and I said, oh, you have to get Luke bridged to Terabithia. I think he'll really love it. And so she did. And he read it. And when he finished it, she heard a door slam. That was his room. And him coming out of his room. And standing in front of her, uh, sobbing Mm. with his T-shirt wet from the tears and Mm. saying, I will never, ever forgive Aunt Kate. (laughs) And (laughs) back into the room again, slamming the door. And so it's just like, that's, there's more in that because he's an adult now. And I've talked to him about that response and and what was going on with him. And there's more in that than there is in, in the 15 questions at the end of the story. Yeah. It is that story became a part of him. And he still refers back to it when he's a teacher now, when he's talking with students. So in 15 questions can't get at that, but letting have letting a reader have their experience with the story, honoring their experience does get at it. Does that make any sense? It does. And you mentioned, you know, as you said, Bridge to Terabithia. I know you and I both love Catherine Patterson's A Sense of Wonder. So I had it right next to me because I knew I was talking to you. So I thought, "Mm, we're probably going to reference this. And it, it made me think of this. This is from page 59. She wrote, but when I write a story, it is not an attempt to make children good or wise. Nobody but God can do that. And even God doesn't do it without the child's cooperation. I am trying in a book simply to give children a place where they may find rest for their weary souls. Yeah, oh, that's beautiful. Everybody should have that book, A Sense of Wonder. I wish it's out of print. We need to bring it back into print because oh, no it's kidding. So hard to find. And I just love it so much. <laughs> like you, I refer to it all the time. And earlier when we were talking, when I was saying that thing about writing behind your own back, there's the, you know, she retells the crane wife story in there about how the crane wife makes the beautiful cloth and uh, that you're not supposed to look when this is going on. And then she pulls that back to this is the way it is with writing. You don't want to look at it too closely and try because then you'll catch yourself doing it in the mat. It's a beautiful, beautiful metaphor that she uses. And I could sit here and waste your time and mine and and go and get the book and try to find it. But if I got up, the dog <laughs> would follow me. As well, I you have know. it in front of me, and I, I don't know where that part is. Here I am, moving quietly into the office. Oh, how do you think it's going to go? 
Okay. Sense of wonder. Here it is. Because I know I'll have it marked. I found it. Oh, good. Oh, you're fast. And I think we have the same edition. I'm on page 210. I thought when I read this, this is what art is all about. It is weaving fabric from the feathers you have plucked from your own breast. But no one must ever see the process, only the finished bolt of goods. They must never suspect that the crimson thread running through the pattern is blood. I must stop analyzing and talking about the process. I've got to keep those paper doors shut. And so I should, but not because critics or reviewers or readers are nosy outsiders who have no right to peer in. No, the rude fellow with a hand on the door is myself. When she sets out to spin a story, the spying heart is involved in a fragile magic. I must trust the weaver of thoughts and dreams within and leave her to work as she will. Reason and greed and impatience and curiosity must be kept in check. Else someday I may wake up and find the crane wife has flown away. It's really, really mm. fabulous. Catherine Patterson. Wow. Oh. I know. What well, so it makes me think too, we talk about books as being a part of this great conversation. You know, books talk to books that have gone before and we're all in this great conversation with ideas. I'm wondering as an author of just really beautiful, meaningful, and fun stories, depending on the story, right? Or depending on the scene. <laughs> it can even be scene by scene. What makes it, what floors me with your books is that I can be laughing out loud one minute and then have tears <laughs> 14 paragraphs later and think, how on earth did she just do that? But what does it mean for you? What does it mean to be a part of that great conversation? Oh, it's everything. It's, it's, it's everything. It is... To say that it's a dream come true is doesn't even approach it because I never would have, you know, as a reader, as because that is a, above and beyond everything else who I am, a reader, to be able to come to the table as a writer, too, and to meet other readers that way and to, like, have my heart interact with other hearts. It floors me. Every day it floors me. I can never get over it that I get to be a part of this. Do you feel like when you're writing a story, does it feel like a conversation with books that have come before? Or do you think, I'm wondering too, is it just like all those books that you've read before have just become a part of who you are and then this new story sort of just comes out of that? Well, I think Tolkien actually has a phrase for that, right? Doesn't he call it the leaf mold or something where like <laughs> you have all this like, it's like composting inside of you, all these ideas and words and stories and images that you've come across, they sort of compost and then come out as something more beautiful. Well, and not even more beautiful, but just part of the conversation, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's like, I'm talking with those books unwittingly, you know, cause they're so much a part of me and in talking with those books, then those books, my stories, we get to interact with the readers and it's just, so it is, it's this, it, it's getting to take part in a procession and it's just like, and to say a procession is interesting to me because a lot of times I'll say to my friends when I've got, when I'm in the almost final draft of something and it is really kind of the hardest time for me because I feel like I am walking along. I'm a big footed, clumsy, small person trying to carry this beautiful thing that and not spill what's inside of it. And so I can see myself just as part of the procession trying to carry that thing. Because does that make sense, Sarah? Or are you like rolling your eyes? No, it does make sense. And you said during our author access event that a story 
as you're writing, it feels like you have this ball of light inside of you, right? And that's yeah, what, mm -hmm. right. Yeah. And then when you're in that last part of it, it's outside of you now. And so it's like something that you're responsible for and you don't want to mess it up. And so it's just like this precious thing that you're trying your best to carry forward. You know, I was just thinking, I kind of remember you saying when you came to my town and did a an event at our local bookshop, I think I remember you saying something about your first or one of your first classroom visits after Because of Winn-Dixie came out. <laughs> I know I know the story that I probably told because I tell it a lot. Is it about themes? Yes. <laughs> Will you yeah. tell us that one? <laughs> sure. So it was super exciting for me to get to go and do a school visit. I was still working at a bookstore at the time. So school visits were just like, what? You're going to, I'm going to come in there and, and talk to the kids about the book I wrote? It's like, yes, yeah, sign me up. So I went in there. I don't know what I thought was going to happen. I didn't have a presentation or anything. I thought, okay, they want to talk about the book. That's great. And so I stood up at the very first time I did this, I stood up at the front of the room with the teacher and she said to the kids, okay, we're going to talk about the themes in this book. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, literally... I could feel sweat rolling down this my, my side because I'm thinking, what are the themes? I, I did, like clearly I didn't prepare for this at all. And immersively, she was a wonderful teacher, and the kids were smart kids. And together, the kids started helpfully shouting out the themes, and she put them up on the board. And then when I got out to the car, I wrote them all down, and I went and did a school visit the next week. And I'm like, all right, kids, we're gonna. Talk about the themes that are in this book. But I, you know, <laughs> I didn't know they were in there. And those themes that, that that first group of kids put up on the board, I can see how they play out. And virtually, I remember, you know, a lot of them, forgiveness, friendship, family. I mean, those are like the preoccupations of all of my stories, you know. Well, Jonathan Oxiate. He wrote, he's written several books, but his newest book is my favorite. I don't know if you've read it yet. I've, no, I haven't. I've heard wonderful things Ugh. and I've, I've met him and I've read his other books and I have yet to read this one. So I'm very excited okay. to read it. So for Sweet. our listeners, yes, it's called Sweep. Anyway, I was thinking about a conversation I had with him for the podcast where he said that a lot of times he doesn't even know what a story is about until afterwards, until someone tells him back. That happens all the time where readers, young or old, point out things that you're not even aware of. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's wishful thinking, like with Edward Tulane, a lot of them, the kids will write and say that the old doll in the shop was that the doll that Bryce's father shattered. And it, it's like, no, I don't think so. But then there are other things, can, you know, like, connections. One kid wrote me, this is a long time ago, and it keeps on happening. What is it with you and stars? They show up in every one of your books. And it's like, good grief. That's so true. <laughs> and, and I was never aware of it at all. But I went back and, you know, this kid detailed, you know, page number and book. And it's just like, again, and again, and again, it shows up. And, and so that goes to the whole conversation you know, that then it's, you know, me having a conversation with the reader, but also it goes to the thing of writing behind your own back and the thing of the story is not complete until it goes into the reader's hands. It needs the reader to complete it. 
and to see the patterns and the shapes. Yeah. So it can fully come alive. It it reminds me as a adult reader, I was recently reading Jaber Crow by Wendell Berry. Oh, Wendell Berry. (laughs) He stole my heart. Oh, and I, as I was reading it, the musician Andrew Peterson's songs, a couple of them came into my mind. Like I couldn't get them out of my head actually. And I kind of reread the passage I had just read. And then I looked up Andrew Peterson's lyrics and he's a friend of the podcast. So I, you know, shot off an email and asked him, Am I totally off base here? But there are two songs on this album that I think may may have been inspired by Jaber Crow. And he told me, whoa, Jaber Crow <laughs> is my very favorite. It's the probably the book that informed me or has formed me more than any other. I never intentionally did that. But now that you pointed it out, I can see it like a neon sign. And I thought that is amazing. <laughs> so that's, that's it exactly, you know? And so it's just like, that goes to the, the you know, the story being smarter than we are. And that whole thing about like, it helps us. A kid said to me, well, I put this on Facebook. So you probably are. are, are <laughs> I probably thought first, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's like, are stories microscopes or telescopes? And I don't know, you know, it, maybe it was something that a teacher said to her, but I, I don't, I fully believe that a kid can come up with this on their own because they're not as intimidated about making those big leaps. And I said, oh, I think that they're probably both. And she said, but they're always flashlights, right? And it's like, yeah. And so it's like, it's a flashlight for yourself too. I mean, when you wrote The Musician, it's just like, then it gets to turn, he gets to turn the flashlight back on himself, Yes. you know, and see, yeah. And so it's just, it's, it's, I would be lost without getting to do this. And to be a a part of the community that does this. Well, and actually, so I have my reading journal right next to me. And as you were talking about that flashlight, I thought, "Mm, pretty sure I just wrote a quote from the Tale of Despero about that. And I did. Here it is from page 81 of the Tale of Despero. Stories are light. Light is precious in a world so dark. (laughs) And that's the other thing. I'm obsessed with light. You know, it comes up again and again and again. And along with the stars. Yeah. So there was another question that at the Author Access event that a child asked that I wanted to ask you here. She asked you, how come not everything is fixed at the end of your stories? And you shared something that I think really resonated with all of us about the difference between what characters want and what characters need. Can you talk about that a little bit? I, as a kid, as a reader, when things were tied up really neatly, I felt condescended to because I felt that... I mean, it's that thing where kids can look around and see the world and see how messy it is. And so I've always had an aversion to everything being just so at the end of a story because the world is a messy place. Art is pattern and life is chaos. So there's pattern in art, but it doesn't necessarily, everything doesn't need to be tied up neatly, which then goes back to, you know, why doesn't Opal's mother come back? which is the lament that I hear <laughs> all the time and and in and really beautiful questions from kids is not a demand but it's 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 a lament and you know things aren't perfect and we we wish for certain things but there's beautiful things sitting right in front of us and if we're lucky we will look around and see what is here opal this happens beautifully in the movie version of the book where she looks around and she sees everybody and it's not what she thought she wanted at the beginning of the story, which was 
her mother and she'll always miss her mother. But look, here are these beautiful people and she's in a room with them sitting around singing. And that is, that's grace. And so grace is offered to us again and again. And it might not be what we think we want, but it's there and we need to be present for it. Well, I know some of our listeners will be outraged with me if I let you go without asking you, (laughs) (laughs) without asking you two questions. First, I know we have a ton of listeners who want to know if there are more Mercy Watson books coming. Well, you know, there's that Mercy Watson as a piglet story. So that's a picture book. So it's how Mercy finds the Watson and and how the Watsons find Mercy. And that's going to be the spring. So and also, Mercy is not done with me. And I am not done with her. So stay tuned. Yes, A Piglet Named Mercy is coming out this spring. Of course, when this podcast airs, it's the end of January. You'll have to wait a couple more months, but I will put a link in the show notes so you can find it and so you can look at the absolutely delightful cover art by Chris Van Dusen, who we love here as well. (laughs) Oh, he's amazing. And then the other question I wanted to make sure I asked you was for writing advice, because we've got lots of listeners who want to improve their craft, get better at writing, tell stories that matter, kids and adults alike. What would you say to them? My advice for whether you're a kid or whether you're an adult is always the same. One, you should read as much as you can, and you should be thrilled to get that assignment about reading as much as you can, because that's everything. It's like you internalize a narrative arc, and it becomes a part of you. And it's that thing that we were talking about, how having conversations with all the stories that have come before. So read a lot. And you have to find some way to make a deal with yourself about how to do the work of writing because it is work. And for me, the deal that I made with myself a long time ago was to do two pages a day. I could get up as soon as I did the two pages. And that's still kind of what I stick to. I can do multiple sessions of two pages a day, but always the deal is sit down and do these two pages and then you can get up. So find a way to make a deal with yourself about how to do the work and don't lie to yourself and say it's not work. You're not you're not waiting for inspiration. You have to sit down and do the work. And then am I am I giving too much advice Sarah, but no, I have a few more things going. to say. <laughs> always always have a notebook with you. Pay attention to everything. It's all your business and use that notebook to help you keep everything open. Your eyes and your ears, and your mind, and your heart. It all has to stay open so that the stories can get in and so that your heart can be broken again and again, because that's how you tell stories. You mentioned during our author access event that you have your coffee pot go off automatically, and you said it really quickly. (laughs) And just like, you know, and um, and I over here was having all these light bulb moments where I was like, I would get out of bed if my coffee was made already, you know? And so since then, it's only been a couple of weeks. Every morning at 510, my coffee pot has gone off automatically and I've gotten up and gone downstairs and written. And I have thought, wow, all I had Sarah, to do is have coffee ready. I just needed someone to make my coffee. <laughs> it is. I remember you're probably too young to remember this, but I remember when all of a sudden you could get those the pots that you could get to turn on automatically. It was revelatory. But before that, there was a book by Brenda Euland. I can't remember the name of it now about writing. It's wonderful. It's on the writing shelf and I'm not going to go and try to find it. But Brenda Euland 
And she talked about if you can't get up and do this without coffee, then make the coffee the night before and put it in a really good thermos. It'll still be hot when you get up. And so, and I, and that's where I got the idea of, but because if you, if you go to make the coffee, then you kind of wander off and something else happens and something else happens. So the coffee has to, if, if you're a coffee person, the coffee has to be ready and waiting for you. And it's so funny how it's like an invitation. I can kind of smell it when my alarm goes off and I'm like, oh, it's waiting for me. I can't just leave it. No, no, it's just like it literally, it's like a cartoon it, the, the, where the steam yes. pulls you down the stairs by the, by the nostrils, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So good. Oh, Kate, thank you so much for coming on the show. It is just been a delight. I knew it would be. And I'm so grateful for your time. I'm so grateful that we got to talk again. It has been a treat for me as well. And I mean it. And you know where to find me. And thank you. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. What's your name? Jameson. And how old are you? Four. And where do we live? In D.C. In D.C. And what is your favorite book that Mommy reads to you? Give a mouse a cookie. Give a mouse a cookie? And why do you like give a mouse a cookie? Because it has a mouse. Because it has a mouse? Yeah. Anything else? And it's on this book. And this book? Yeah. Is it a rocket book? It has a rocket in it. Yeah. On the launch pad. Counting book about rockets. Okay. Okay, what's your name? Whitaker. Whitaker. Can you say Whitaker? (laughs) How old is Whitaker? One. One. Hey, Whitaker, what is your favorite book? What is this book? Llama, llama. Llama, llama. My name is Hunter Elijah Durham. I am eight years old, and I live in Tijuana, Mexico. It's kind of weird that I speak English. My favorite book that was read aloud to me is The Green Ember. The reason why I like the green ember so much is because it's so adventurous. Goodbye. Hope you have a good day. What's your name? Madison. And where do you live? In Tijuana, Mexico. And how old are you? Six. And what is your favorite book that was read aloud to you? Wonder Woman, the origin story. What's your name? Leah. Leah, where do you live? In Mexico. And how old are you? Three and a half. Leah, what is the favorite book that's been read aloud to you? Batman Killer's book. And why do you like the Batman book? It's from the library. It's from the library? Yeah. Yeah? What else do you like about it? Batman in it. Batman's in it. Anything else you want to say? No. Hi, I'm Beckett, and I'm from Towson, Maryland. And my favorite books are... The Straganona books, and I like them because Big Anthony uncovered the whole town square in pasta. Hi, my name is Beckett, and I am six years old, and I'm from Towson, Maryland. And my favorite book is Straganona because Big Anthony covers the whole town square in pasta. 
and he gets in really silly trouble. Hello, my name is Bryn Perry. I'm 14 years old and I live in Rogers, Minnesota. My favorite book series probably ever is The Melendies by Elizabeth Enright. I just really adore this series. It's really good, really funny. I really like the series because I can relate to the characters. It's really good, wholesome reading. And I love all the characters. I couldn't say I have a favorite. I really like Rush and Mona. Everybody's really good. And I just love the series. I'm Alex from Wisconsin, and I'm 12. I love the book The Traveling Dress by Elizabeth Dufek because the dress travels the world when a child goes to their forever home, and I'm in a forever family. Hi, my name is Jane. I am seven years old. I live in Texas. My favorite book is Whatever After series, and it's by Sarah Momowski, and why I love it, they're... Land and fairy tales. My name is Justin. I'm nine years old and I'm from Texas. My favorite book is Jedi Academy by Jeffrey Brown. My favorite part about it is that it's funny and it's a good comic. Hello, my name is Archer Petit and I live in Texas. I am eight years old and my favorite book is read aloud to me is Beowulf because he is strong and courageous and help his king. My name is Savannah and I'm 13 years old. My favorite read aloud is Cinder by Marissa Meyer because the storyline is similar to Once Upon a Time, which is one of my favorite TV series. Ah, so good, right? Now you know why this is a new favorite episode for me. Hey, the show notes are at readaloudrevival.com slash 121. And when you go to the show notes, You'll see a lot of Kate DiCamillo's books, including her newest book, Louisiana's Way Home. And you'll also find a complete transcript. So if you are somebody who prefers to read rather than listen, you can find transcripts to all of our episodes at the Read Aloud Revival website. Or if you have a friend who isn't really a podcast listener, but you think would enjoy what Kate had to say today, head to those show notes and send her the transcripts because... That's really a helpful way for people who are not into listening to podcasts, which if you're listening to my voice right now, you probably are kind of into podcasts, but maybe you know somebody who's not. Remember that you can get Read Aloud Revival free book recommendations at readaloudrevival.com or by texting the word books to the number 345345. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode of the Read Aloud Revival podcast. Until then, go make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. Mm-hmm.